more time for the band. Great worship today. I don't know if you guys realize this, but that song is called Multiplied, and today we're kicking off a new series called Multiplied because we're trying to understand how God works and how he multiplies things. So that song works perfectly for our new series. We just finished a series, and now we're talking about being multiplied. We've gone through a series of being together and now we're trying to multiply what God wants to do. If you're new, and I got to meet a bunch of you walking in, this is your first or second or even third time welcome. We love having new people. Our church is built for people that need to know God, that have walked away from God, and, and, and are growing as a disciple for God. And so I know that's a lot, but that's what we've been praying for, and that's what God wants to do. So if you are new, don't be scared. It should be okay. Wow, that was kind of a scary joke, but uh, don't be afraid of what God wants to do in your heart today. Be open. We're a church that believes in, this, in the work of the Spirit, like how, how he speaks and works, and we're going to be praying for you that he will give you a direct revelation or reveal something to your heart about your life, your, your situation, your marriage, your finances, your uh, own journey in life. God wants to speak to all of us, and hopefully he will do that today. We are a church that's on a mission, and we've gone through the last five weeks of talking about doing things together, and the original mission of this church is to love the world one person at a time, and I know that sounds kind of cheesy and like a car commercial, but the truth is, even though it may sound a little cheesy, it's actually really hard to do. People are hard to love. Your family members, not my family, but your family members are hard to love, and uh, it's hard to love people. And it's also hard to minister to a lot of people and try and love them until they learn to love themselves. And so what we've done is in the service, we've created teams so that you should be praying maybe throughout the week about certain things. This area right here we call team salvation. They're praying for people to ha uh, engage in salvation, have salvation, and our salvation grows. This is team revelation. We're praying during the week. Yeah, team revelation. Let's hear it. We're praying for the week that people will start hearing God and being directed by God. How would it be if you never heard from God and were never directed by God? And then my, fit, my personal favorite is Team Transformation over here. This, this team is praying that everybody in the whole church, first service and second service, will be transformed and they'll be right and whole with God. And, and, and maybe that transformation starts or maybe it's completed here, or maybe you're just in the middle of it and God wants to do a transformational process. Regardless, we are a church trying to do everything together and praying for specific things, and we're asking for you guys to join together in this mission of loving the world, but also letting God speak to us personally. Now, another thing that I want to tell you is this is uh, on Tuesday morning, I've got, I'm so grateful and blessed by God to be able to leave 17 people plus four people from Indiana from our church to Israel. And uh, the reason why I'm telling you this is not to pat myself on the back, but what I want to do is there's a bunch of people that didn't get to go this year that want to go, and it gives us, a, uh, we booked this next year on the 18th, I already have them, and, and what I'd like for you to do is follow us on Facebook, my wife, me, and a few others, Jeff Barnett, who's playing the piano, and a bunch of friends, follow us and see if it's something that you want to do. We've already got a year in advance, so you can put a few bucks aside, and everything's included, and we'd love to take you as a pilgrim 
to go over to the place where Jesus walked and enjoy that. So me and my life, so me and my wife are going to go on Tuesday with a group of people. So just pray for us and follow us. And man, last year was so spiritual. And I know that the comments we had were as, uh, amazing as well. So um, join us on that journey. If you don't get to go, we'll share some pictures and some, some uh, conversation about it. But I always came back. I come back last year, and I was filled in, 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 with the Spirit in a new way. I was just something completely different happened, and I pray it's going to happen even more because I have a better understanding what to expect. So multiplied. Anybody good at math here? A couple of wobblers over there saying, okay, I don't know. Well, the idea of, of multiplied is understanding how to multiply things in our life. But here's the first statement that you need to hear, and this probably could end the message right here, that God is the ultimate multiplier in your life, in my life and in your life. That's the statement that we're going to come to. He is the great multiplier. He is the times mark in your life. For whatever you're trying to do, God is the great multiplier, and he is the ultimate multiplier. So if we just stop there, which some of you are ready to do that, it would be a great message. But to make that work and to make it come alive, we're going to continue. So I was going to say sit down and shut up, but we don't need to say that. I don't want to say that. That's rude. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what your head says all the time, but my head says some crazy stuff. So I got to calm it down and... Uh, so here's what the memory verse is. You know, we've got a really gifted team, right? Worship and pastors and all kinds of people at the team. And Jeremy put this, this uh, sermon series together. It's called Multiplied. And here's the memory verse. And if you remember a year and a half, two years ago, we went through Psalm 40. And Psalm 40 verse 5 talks about it. It says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim you and tell them of, tell them. Yet they are more than can be told. And basically, here's what he's saying. Your deeds and what you do are enormous. And none of us can measure how you multiply the great deeds. And if you were honest, not that you're not on an honest on a regular basis, but if you're honest on a regular this week and said, how did God work in my life? And in really minute and, and, and big ways, you would say maybe God worked two or three times in your life. And if you really got into the detail, maybe you worked several times in your life. And then you multiply that by 2.5 or 2.6 billion people in the world this week. And God did a great work and multiplied. And that's what David is saying. It's like God multiplies and does great things. Everything he does, his deeds are too big for us to even measure. When we really start getting into the minutia of who God is, it's too much to measure. And that's what David is talking about. And, and it's a pretty wonderful statement. So what does this all mean about multiplied? So here's the deal. Today's sermon series is called Multiplied Freedom. Now, I don't know where you guys want to be in life, but we want to be, as a church, with people experiencing true freedom in their life. Freedom from the chains and the shackles of this world. We've got this big burly chain by my buddy Eric right here. This is from his back of the truck. He always has this. I don't know why, but he always has this ready to go. But we want to take those chains off today and multiply things in your life. And specifically, some of the financial stuff. I don't know where you guys are financially, but 
uh, I know that God wants to talk about that. And so we're going to talk about God's multiplying us in, in a more of a financial realm. And so if you haven't been to church in a year and you're hearing another money sermon series, you should come often because we don't talk about it that often. So, but it's more personal. It's not about the church. We're not taking an offering. We're not looking for money here. We don't measure money. We don't measure people because it's not important to us. We have bank accounts and we have people to do it. But this is about your personal journey, your personal walk with God, and how he wants to multiply that freedom in you. Now, what I want to do is a couple of things. First and foremost, did anybody see the new coffee cart we got out there, the guy that built our coffee cart? I think we have a picture of it. We have a guy that built this coffee cart. It's up on the wall. Uh, he was here for a service. He doesn't really go to church, but he showed up because we wanted to encourage him. And so uh, this is an amazing thing. We're going to love the world one coffee person at a time. So this is our new way to do that. So we're grateful that we've got this, and it's a blessing. But what is the idea of God multiplying things? Now, if you walked in and you saw a bunch of caution tape, that's not to push you forward. That's for a purpose. Uh, in first and second service, you guys being in the second service, God is multiplying our church. And several years ago, when we used to be in the Boys and Girls Club, if you weren't there, there were three sections, and they were partitioned with these terrible walls. They just never opened. And Mike Morissette would be breaking his back just to unlock them sometimes. And, and the place was sectioned off, and so our first church service was like just this section. And then we grew, and we opened up this section. So we went from like 30 to... 42, and then one time we said, let's just open up the walls and see what happens, and we yellow taped this area, and I got up there, and I said, one day, this section's going to be filled, and within literally four weeks, that place was filled. We went from like 60 people to 100 people, and the church is starting to grow, and so we're taping this off because first service, we've had a, the largest first service ever two weeks ago. In the beginning of the year, we've had our largest second services. And those areas are 60 more people are waiting to come if you invite them. Because God's doing a work in the way you're ministering to this community. And he wants to multiply what God wants to do in this place. So I'm not a big guy that bangs on the chest, journeys the best. I'm a big guy that God is good and Jesus is the best. And he wants to do a work and multiply what God is doing. So the first thing is, is those sections are, are blocked off so that you can see and start paying attention to that those seats were going to start to be filled. The second thing is, I think we have a picture of Wednesday night. Wednesday night started off when we came to the community center with 12 tables. Then we went to 15 tables last year. Recently, two, day, two weeks ago, we went to 18. And probably by the end of the month, we're going to need 20 tables because Wednesday is exploding, unbelievable worship and teaching. If you guys have never been here, it's a round table. It's like a Bible study. Uh, they minister and teach, and there are also dynamic stuff at the table with great worship and food. So Wednesday night is growing immensely, and we're going to probably add two more tables that will almost double the size of what we started with. So that's pretty exciting. And here's the last thing. And, and, and this is how God is multiplying. And so I'm trying to give you a visual. All those little kids up here, we have this thing called Planning Center. And Planning Center measures all of our volunteers, and it also measures how many kids we check in. So if you have kids, we come in with these iPads, and you check in, and you get a sticker. Well, Planning Center has emailed us the last three weeks saying you guys are going to the most kids that you've ever had. 
And they're saying, hey, we're super excited and want to move you into the next phase of planning center's uh, blessing to us. So the kids are growing immensely, and that usually is a sign that the church is about ready to explode. So God is doing a work in multiplying things. And like I said, this is not about journey. This is about Jesus. And we're trying to be whole and right and honoring to Jesus. And so I'm blessed to be a part of that. And a big part of multiplying is money. Now, we don't ever focus on money. The most you'll ever hear is what Jeremy said, but we know that God wants us to deal with money. At some point in my life, I'm going to meet my Savior, and hopefully he's going to put his arm around me and say, Jeff, buddy, you weren't that funny, first of all. (laughs) See me after. He's going to put his arm around me and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But why didn't you talk about money? Because people that are Christians need to know the principles of money so that they can have freedom and they can be unshackled from this world. There's a world economy and the economy of the world binds us up so that we can't be free and we see things differently. But in Christ's economy, he wants to break us free. And he wants to bring that multiplication into your life, into everything about your life, so that you can be whole and free, especially our finances. We work tirelessly week in and week out, 40, 50, 60 hours. I was saying in first service, I don't know if you're a mom, but dads do this too, but if you're a mom, my wife comes home, works 40, 45 hours a week, and then comes home and has to deal with me the rest of the night. That's a lot of work, but you know, seriously, she comes home and gets the kids ready and does all this stuff, and by nine o'clock, she's put another five hours in. Moms do that, and so do dads, and we work constantly, and what we do is we see that our finances just tend to dwindle, and God says, I want to unshackle that, I want to bring freedom to that, and I want to have you experience something. So as we go through this series, we're going to talk about the principles of giving, saving, and budgeting. Giving, if you don't know this creates freedom in your life. I was talking to Jeremy this week about the giving, and he says, when I give, this is what Jeremy says, I feel like I'm free because I'm letting go. Giving money teaches me to let go of things that I value and treasure and trust in God and, and, and how God wants to work. Saving is really good, really good. Hoarding, not so good. And that's the topic that we're gonna see in Luke 12. You're gonna see a hoarder trying to do stuff more. And hoarding is not good. The principle of saving is good. And finally, budgets. Budgets are super important. I don't know about you, but a lot of people at the beginning of the year budget time for exercise, budget time for dieting, they budget time for all that stuff, but we also need to budget time for God and budget him into our budget. As Christians, we need to put him as a part of our budget so that it makes sense for you, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Being multiplied helps us give up control and make wise decisions in God's economy. There's an eternal economy out there. That it's different from this world. This world has its ways in the way that it deals with money. And it binds us up and breaks us down. And in the end, we have nothing for it. Even if we have great wealth, we might have nothing for it. So here's the question. You're short on cash. It's like an infomercial. Are you short on cash? Come see me. I got a great deal for you. So you're you're short on cash and you're looking to multiply. Where in the world can you multiply some of your money? 
Well, the wise investor might say, well, let's look at some investments. Maybe I'll invest in a business, maybe some stocks. A great investment, though it's long-term, is maybe investing in a piece of property or home. That's a way to multiply money. The problem is, if I need money by February 28th, that's not going to work. Unless you know how to turn houses over in two days, right? You might make some money, and you have to have money to make that. So where do you multiply? Then we look to the world, and what does the world offer? The world offers bingo. Kino, anyone? Kino? What else does it have? Lottery tickets? Scratchers? Those are the things that we go to going, oh, man, maybe I'll buy 10 scratchers. And if I just hit that right one for 500, I maybe I'll pay my mortgage this week. Probably not the best way to multiply. And then we have the stuff that I used to struggle with, casinos and horse racing. And I no longer do that because it doesn't make any sense. Because it never quenches the thirst that I have. There's never enough. And so we have all these ideas of how to multiply stuff. But the truth is, it doesn't necessarily work. Many of us as believers and many of us that live in the world. Who's living in the world right now? A couple of you. A couple of you can join us. As we live in the world, we're not of the world, but we live in the world. God wants to do something in this world. And what the world tells me, I don't know what it tells you, but what the world tells me is my freedom comes from money. I can jet set anywhere because I got a bank account and a savings account to get to uh, France or whatever. The truth is I don't. So you want to look at it. It's a little low right now. But if I had that, I could do anything, you know? I could travel to uh, the, the vineyards this week, or I can go to Vegas or whatever. We believe as a society that money is true freedom. But when God starts speaking to us, he says, that, not so fast. That's not really what it means. Freedom comes from me, and freedom comes from me and how I unshackle. Let me get into your life and multiply the things around you, and you will see how that freedom works. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So here's the, here's the caveat here. A lot of people were coming up, wow, what a great sermon. I'm not saying that to, for, to pat myself on the back, but they were saying that. And I'm like, how could a money sermon be great? Well, the point is, is a lot of us struggle with it. And it's the thing that destroys relationships and the things that makes relationships. And one of the big issues we need to do is look at our money and how we can multiply it and find freedom in it. But here's the caveat. Here's the Here's the little warning sign. If you get convicted and you feel like, oh, I'm going to give this week and my next paycheck and, and really watch the freedom come, it usually doesn't happen that way. It doesn't mean that it can't. It doesn't mean that you can't put 100 bucks in the offering and it's more than you've ever given, and by the end of the month, he'll, he'll make it into 1,000. That's if you did your taxes and your tax return comes. <laughs> doesn't mean that God can't do it, but he generally doesn't do it when you do it one time or two times or three times. It's a principle that me and my family have had to learn, and we have to budget it in and make it a part of. And I can remember me and Liz for years saying, man, what can we do with that money? And then one month it would be Liz saying, yeah, but God needs the money, and one month it would be me saying, yeah, but God needs the money. And over time, we've had to learn to budget in and how God has blessed us. And I could tell you tons of stories about how God has blessed us, but it's not about me. This is about you and your heart with God. This is not a one-time fix. It's about longevity. Christ is in the business of you being with him over the lifetime, not a one-time thing. 
So don't get into the idea that if I start today, it'll be changed by next Monday or by the, th the 28th of this month. It's about a heart and a mind and about Jesus. So today we're going to go into the Bible with Luke chapter 12. Now, if you are familiar with your Bible, it's the thing that's next to your, your bed that you haven't opened up. It's got a coffee stain on it in some areas. Or it's under the bed and the cats are curling up next to it. But it's the thing that's got a bunch of words in it. And uh, Jeremy's has got a lot of pictures. Mine doesn't. But Jeremy's has got a lot of pictures in his. But we're going to open up the word. And Luke chapter 12 is an interesting chapter. I think there's like 58 verses in Luke. And Luke gives us a warning about some things. He's like saying, warning, beware. And here's what he's talking about. It says he's warning us about hypocrisy. Covetness is what's the topic that we're going to talk about today. Worrying, carelessness, and spiritual dullness. Four of those are to believers and people that are a part of the apostles and, and, and part of the disciples. There, there, there are two uh, disciples. The last one is to the lost or the people that aren't believing. Today, we're going to talk about covetousness. And as we read this, I want to do two tests today. First of all, I want you to count the eyes and the me, myself, and I as we read this. And the second test I'll explain to you in just a minute. So if you are able to stand, we stand here. If you can't, just get your heart right. We're going to open up the word of God and just watch him do great things in us. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, it says this, and he told them a parable, that's Jesus, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. A lot of people, when they see that, say, see, Jeff, that's what the Bible says. I should do that all the time. There's a warning to that, and you'll see he calls this guy a fool. So just know that if you think that's what the Bible says, you're a fool. Sorry. So here's the thing. Here's the time that we pray as individuals. If you want to hear from God today, ask God to speak to you. If you want to start a transformational process, ask God. If you want uh, to grow in your salvation, ask God. Now is the time. People have been praying. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak to all of us. Thank you that you're speaking to many churches at the same time. And I pray that your spirit starts to work through this message as we talk about finances and freedom, Lord, you are also going to talk about other things to individuals that will free them up as well. So, Lord, as we come before you and all that are shackled and all that are struggling, Lord, we submit these chains to you and ask that you set it free. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So, anybody, how many eyes? How many me, myself, and eyes? Anybody? How many? In some translations, it's six. Some are seven. There's 11 pronouns, personal pronouns, we call them. 11, which is I, myself, me. There's a lot of things in there, and you're seeing this thing. What does that mean? Team transformation. What does all the I's mean? You understand that part of life? That's my mom, by the way, so... When you see a lot of eyes and when you're talking in your conversations about eyes and me, myself, and I, you're really focused on yourself. This story doesn't really show, as Jesus is teaching it, much about any other person, let alone God, right? 
There's a lot of me's and my's, and this is what I'm going to do, and get on board with what I'm going to do. I don't care what you're going to do, but look at me. So that's the first test, that this story doesn't show room for other people in this story, and that's going to speak true to us. Jesus is warning us as, an, as a church and as a society, a society of Christians that believe in Jesus. He's speaking and saying, I don't want you to covet. The 10th commandment is talking about coveting stuff. And when we get into this coveting relationship and we get into this thing of coveting things of the world, we end up lessening our walk with Jesus and growing closer to what the world wants us, which is living an anti-Christ type of lifestyle, away from Christ. And, and, and Jesus is saying, warning, don't be a coveter. Covetness means this. This is a biblical definition. It's not necessarily the Webster. It says, covetness is an unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something that we think we need to satisfy ourselves truly. It's, I got to have it more and more, and I never get fully filled up with it. And we see that in this, in this story. Mark Twain writes, and uh, I really jacked this up in the first service. I have a little dyslexia, so hopefully it'll come out. It says, civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Let me say that again. I actually did it right that time, so congratulations, Jeff. Civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Long ago... Mark Twain wrote, even in his day, which was somewhere before 1960, I don't know, somewhere back there, Mark Twain wrote that in his civilization, and he was a cutting-edge writer in his time, saying where he lived and how he lived their life, they were struggling with buying unnecessary necessities. Think about the purchases you made yesterday. How many were really necessary? Besides maybe the In-N-Out Burger or the Topper's Pizza, and even that, was that necessary? Mark Twain is saying, look at these things are holding us back. And God wants to get rid of that because we're all about building things that are unnecessary in our life. And, and it's, it was a struggle. And that's what civilization is. God's community and economy is completely different. He wants to do something completely different, radically transformational in our life. Now, there's a story about a missionary, great missionary woman. Uh, her name's Sadie Seeker, and this woman was in the Philippines, and she was called a house parent, and basically what she did is she had an orphanage over there for the Filipino kids, and they, they were in the Philippines, and she just had a bunch of kids living. They didn't have parents, or they left their parents, or it wasn't a good situation for the kids, so she brought them in, and she was just this loving woman, and what does a parent do? A parent starts teaching their kids. She loved books. Sadie loved books, and she's like, I'm going to give away to every kid that I come in touch with, every kid that I have, I'm going to love books, and I'm going to tell them and share with them, and so she had this huge library, bigger than any library in the community. She had this huge library, and she was always loaning books out and getting kids fired up for reading. What a great thing. But here's the thing. Sadie had her personal books that she didn't really like to share. She's like, oh, they'll wreck it and they'll spill stuff on it. And the weather in the Philippines destroys books. So Sadie kept her personal books that she really loved in the footlocker in the front of her bed. Because she's like, I don't want these. These are my books that I read and they're my go-to. So I'm just going to store these here, but I'm going to give everything else away. Now, here's the deal about Sadie. One night as she was praying and going to bed, she starts hearing this... And she starts hearing this sounds happening, 
And she's like, where's that coming from? And she comes to the foot of the bed, and she opens up her foot locker. And I want to make sure I get the story right, and it's a biblical principle. As she opens up the foot locker, she finds that all there is is a bunch of dust and, 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 and uh, paper that's been chewed up by termites. So the books that she loved the most that she was protecting and saving, she ends up losing. And here's the biblical principle. What we give away, we keep. What we hoard, we lose. What we give away, we keep. What we hoard, we lose. She was hoarding these for herself because she didn't want them to get wrecked. But ultimately, the termites found this is the best dinner they've had. American literature, right? That's an important principle that we need to understand. We need to understand what we hold on to. And what we try and grasp on the tightest, we end up losing. But when we learn to let go, we have great freedom. And that's what money teaches us. When we give away money, it teaches us, man, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I hope it's good, but I'm going to let it go and trust in God. And that's a powerful thing. God is the ultimate multiplier. Here's what the Apostle Timothy, I mean, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy. And in Timothy, they're talking about building up leaders. Do you guys realize that you are all leaders? God is working on all of you individually to be a great leader and a disciple into this community. He's building you up and saying, I'm trying to teach you leadership. And in Timothy chapter 6, Verse 10, he or verse 17, he talks about some of the leadership. He says this, teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. The world says money makes the world move. The Bible says through Jesus, he's like, that's not really reliable. And you see in our story how money is not very reliable. Now, here's what Martin Luther writes, not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, the reformer. Here's what he writes about it, very similar to what happened to Sadie. He says, I have tried to keep things in my hand and lost them all, but what I have given into the hands of God, I still possess. When I give and I give it to God, I still have those. But when I try and hold on and grasp on, things squeeze out and I can't carry it all. I can't hold on to it all. And so that's what we see. So the question is, as we look at our second test, the question is this. Are you a slave to this world's economy or are you free and watching God bring freedom and multiplying in God's economy? There's a whole different economy out there in the way that Christians are to live. Doesn't mean that we all do it, but there's a whole other economy out there and it brings utter freedom in, in powerful ways. And that's the question. So let's look at the second test. I think I have a slide. This is a test of Journey the Church. So I want you to test yourself, and nobody's judging you or nobody's scoring, only you are, but here's some questions. We look back at the story again, and let's take this test. How do you respond to the farmer's dilemma? Does anybody know what the dilemma is? How do you respond to the dilemma? What's his dilemma? Anybody? Too much money. Dang, I hate when that happens. Well, last time I happened, it was like in 87. I graduated from high school, and it was not my money. That's when I had too much money and I blew it in a week. So um, this guy had too much money. So what's the dilemma? Here's the test. If you say, man, I wish that was me that I had too much money, you might be coveting. You might have some issues with covetousness. You might be struggling. If you say, man, I wish that was me, you might struggle with covetousness. Here's the second part of the test. If you uh, inherited a great deal of money, would it be a problem for you? What? 
A lot of times today, our parents and grandparents are leaving their family houses and gifts of money, and we receive that. And so you're saying, would that be a problem to me? Well, the problem comes in this format. Would it be a problem if you ask God, how much should I give that away? And how much should I do for your economy? The problem is not receiving the money. That's the easy part and spending it. The problem is I got this blessing. I've got this inheritance. Is it a big struggle for me? And have I given you your percentage? And have I uh, prayed to you and asked, how am I going to use it for your kingdom? Because that's where the freedom comes from. When we press into that, when we move into that place, there's freedom in that giving. And, and we see that happen. There's people, I can tell you countless stories in the church of people doing that and how God moves mightily in days, months, and years beyond that giving of those things. So that's one of the things that the farmer is, is are you asking him, God, what should I do with this? Here's the third thing. How do you respond to the farmer's decision to build bigger farms. How do you respond? This is the test. Is that a shrewd decision? Wow, that was pretty good. The guy's trying to save. He's trying to put stuff away for, uh, for future things. Saving is good. That's shrewd. Or is it selfish? Was he putting this stuff away in the story to please God? Or was he putting it in the story to please himself? You answer that test. That, there's another form of how to understand this. Is that a shrewd business? No. Saving is good, hoarding is bad, and the truth is, all he's talking about is me, myself, and I. He never once has anybody else in the form of his story here. This guy's a fool. Here's the fourth thing. How do you respond to the farmer's desire? The farmer's desire is one day I'm going to just build a barn and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry and live life. How do you respond to that? If you're responding to what a life. Hallelujah, I made it. That might be covetousness. If you're responding to the point of he's had success, satisfaction, and security, he's got all the things that I want, you might be missing the point. Because what Jesus is telling us is there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having a ton of money. There's nothing wrong with making a ton of money if you're willing to put it out into the kingdom to move the kingdom forward. God only moves when his hands and feet move. Everybody raise their hands up. There's God's hands. Everybody raise your feet up. Those are God's feet. God only moves when these hands and these feet move. Not just these hands and these feet. God has challenged me to live a life to him and for him and through him. And I use my hands and feet to try and minister to people. But he needs everybody else. The real issue here is a Christian should say, how many opportunities has this guy missed out in his life? Because it says he's working his butt off. It doesn't say that he's happy. It says once he's done building, he might be able to take it easy and be happy. If you've ever made a lot of money or you've worked hard and built a business up, the truth is that's a lot of work. And you're hoping one day you'll be able to spin the inheritance. There's no joy in here. God says if the guy builds a barn, this ritual, if he gets to that place, he might be able to take it easy and enjoy life. Jesus never promises that this guy has joy. It's just saying there could be joy. Here's what it ends. Verse 20, it says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You will get what you've, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who's going to get this? 
Who's going to get all the stuff that you've saved and all this bounty? Who is going to get that? Our trust should be in God and our joy and our happiness and our grace should be about him. And all that we have received should be about him. And are we focused on the slavery of of our worldly economy? Are we shackled up? Or are we free in the eternal economy watching God work and move in our lives? There's two economies and God is preaching to us today about which economy do I want to live in and live by. Here's the fifth part of the test and this is the last test and then we'll wrap it up today. It says, how did you respond to his death? When you think about this, this text, how did you respond to this death where you're like, oh man, This guy never got an opportunity to live out the American dream. He missed out. He never got to live for his inheritance, his 401k, his investments, his rental property income. He never got a chance. He never got a chance to to live out the plans that he felt was perfect for him when he made this decision to grow and be a farmer. Ultimately, Jesus is saying to us in this story, this guy is not talking about anybody but himself, and it seems like he's going to walk away from a life without God and being in God's economy. He's, he's about himself. He's alone, and there's nobody else. The final verse says in verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich Towards God, I want to come back to that concept of rich towards God in a second. That's our application for today. Let me go back to that first saying here. God is communicating to us about being free and being in his economy. And it has to do with taking the shackles off and learning to let go and let God do whatever he wants to do. God is our ultimate freedom. He is the ultimate multiplier, but the truth is God is our ultimate freedom, and his freedom comes from generosity. Do you realize that generosity is the thing that frees us in God's economy? Generosity frees us. Now, how is God generous? Yeah, he blesses us, and he hears our prayers, and sometimes he answers them, sometimes he doesn't. He's generous, but here's the generosity that God has done. He sent his son, his one and only son, himself, as a generous offer. He didn't want any of you to sacrifice one ounce of blood or one pinprick of blood. He wanted to give his son as a generous offering to all of mankind. And through that generosity, we are free. We are shackle free. What I want to close today with a story. It's kind of different. It has nothing to do with money. But at the end, the concept really sinks in for us. Little history today for you. In July 31st, 1835, there was a man named William Nibs. William Nibs was a missionary to Jamaica. And William Nibs' mission was to slaves in Jamaica. And it was a powerful ministry. Now, I don't know if you guys know your history, but on that date was the Emancipation Proclamation the following day, August 1st, 1830, uh, 1838. So here's what happened. William Nibs on that night had a church service and he gathered 10,000 slaves. And before midnight, they built this huge, huge coffin. It was gigantic, twice the size of this little stage I'm on. And in this coffin, it was pretty high. He said, everybody that's been a slave in this town, bring the stuff 
and put it in the coffin. The fetters and the chains and the whips and all the slavery instruments, their clothing and all of that. And he challenged, everybody was there, put your stuff in the coffin. It was a powerful moment. And as the clock struck 12, William Nibs, the first ding of the clock, he said, the monster is dying. And it strikes again. And he says, the monster is dying. And then all of a sudden, all the slaves started singing, the monster is dying. And on that final 12th, uh, 12th ding, he says, the monster is dead. And the whole crowd started to shout for joy. Because now they are no longer slaves because they've been freed because of this emancipation proclamation. And they buried all that stuff. What a great story. But here's the problem. There's a sad part to the story. Here's the thing. In Jamaica, those that were there and those that were in the city understood the Emancipation Proclamation. But in Jamaica, there were places in rural cities and cities outside of this that didn't hear for several years that the Emancipation Proclamation was law. And they were under slavery for several years later. Because nobody told them the truth. They were ignorant or absent of the truth. And it's because the slave owners never told them that this proclamation was done. They were still bound up in chains and shackled because nobody told them the truth. That's a sad story. But here's the sadder story. There's people that call themselves Christians and say, I believe in Jesus above all things. I believe in you, Lord. But what happens is they don't realize that when Jesus came and set him free, he sent an emancipation proclamation for you and I to be free from the chains of this world. He breaks the bondage of sin and shame. And he says, if you call me Lord and Savior, I set you free. And I want to multiply things in your life and I don't want you to live separate from the truth that I am Lord Jesus and I will multiply and bring great freedom in your life today. Do you believe that? The message of the cross sets us free. We're no longer bound up. We're no longer trained slaves to sin. We are free in Jesus Christ. Now today is your job to believe in that emancipation proclamation and step into that new place. Here's the application, rich towards God. What does that mean? To be rich towards God is to acknowledge that everything that you've ever had or ever got is for God and from God. You thank almighty Jesus, this is for you, Lord. Everything that I have, everything that I've ever received, thank you, God, because you have blessed me and given me that. That's the first part. And the second part is that whatever you've been blessed with, use for his kingdom and his kingdom work. You are the hands and feet. Use that. So here's the application today. You are to enjoy the blessing God has given you and employ that into this world. Enjoy and employ and watch the freedom start moving in your life. You're no longer shackled down, but you are free in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I know there's a group of us that want to be rich towards you. And Lord, I thank you that you have set us free and that you're righting the wrongs and the sin of man for, from history till today. 
Lord, we know that your forgiveness is greater and it frees us. And we are no longer bound and shackled, but we are in your economy experiencing a freedom that is multiplied. Lord, if there's someone here that people have been praying for all week that wants salvation, to jump into the way that you live and the way that you are and want to change from their old and into a new life. If that's you today, all you have to say is a prayer, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. If you feel God speaking to you, repeat after me and let him start multiplying things in your life. Here's the prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and set me free. The Bible says that you died and that you rose again so that I may have eternal life. Lord, anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Take the chains off of my spiritual life so that I can be free in you. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit so I can be the hands and feet of God. In your name we pray.